All right, everyone, it's time to take out our Bibles. And if you will, turn with me today to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Now, we're going to be starting a series on the book of Mark. Uh, Technically, today, today we're in the book of Mark, but typically when we do a series through books of the Bible, we start at the first chapter and the first verse, and we have a proper introduction to the book. That's not what's happening today. Uh, And the reason is because every January, uh, I've kind of made it my habit to give a sermon on giving, on giving. And today, it just so happens that that sermon's come across right before we start the book of Mark, and a perfect text for this is Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. And so that's what we're going to do today, but then next week, you'll you'll find, Lord willing, I'm going to go back to the beginning of the book of Mark and introduce it properly, if you will. The new year is always a good opportunity for us to take a heart-level look at our spiritual life. And specifically, it's also a good opportunity for each and every one of us to take a heart-level look at our budget and how much we give to the Lord. Now, I say this almost every year, but it's true every single year. This sermon is not about the church's need of your money. It's about your need to give because of your own personal walk with the Lord, because of your own holiness. If this was about us needing more money, I would have put the offering after the sermon. Then you all are, you know, feeling guilty. But it's not about the church's need. We are so blessed as a church. We have been so blessed as a church because of your generosity in giving. It is not as though our church needs a a scolding or needs a, a more motivation to give. You do very well in this as a church. But this is more about our individual lives, our individual walk with the Lord, and the way that each and every one of us needs to give. We need this. Because of the blessing that we will receive in our hearts when we give. We need this because of the joy that comes from sacrificial obedience to the Lord. We need this because of our own personal holiness and our own walks with God. We are commanded by God to give. And so giving is a matter of obedience, is it not? It's a matter of obedience to the Lord. But it should be our joy to do this. It should be a joyful thing. We're going to see here in just a moment, God loves a cheerful giver, it says in Scripture. The main motivation for obedience to any of God's commands should be the joy that results inside of us from having been obedient to the Lord. This is why David writes in the Psalms that God would incline our hearts, incline my heart, he writes, incline my heart to your commands. In other words, help me not to just obey your commands, help me to do so from the heart with joy. It should be our joy to be obedient to the Lord. And we should receive joy from having been obedient to the Lord. And so, having said all of that, let's look at our text. It's Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. This is God's word. It says, And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came. 
and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Imagine the scene. Imagine the scene. Jesus and his disciples sitting back, just watching what's going on in front of them. And over to one side is the offering box. They're just sitting and watching. People watching, if you will. And as people come to the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. You can imagine some of them making a big to-do about it, right? Large sums into the offering box. Everybody is amazed. Everybody claps. Everybody honors them. And then a poor widow comes up. It's obvious she's poor. You don't have to ask her about it. You can see it. And she takes out two small copper coins, an offering of almost nothing, and puts it into the offering box. And imagine Jesus sitting there, grabbing his disciples and saying, guys, 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 did you see that? And his disciples say, do we see what? What do you mean? And Jesus, marveling at what just happened, says, did you see what that woman just did? He's commending her for an amazing act when she gave two small copper coins and the rest were giving very large sums. Jesus saw what happened with spiritual eyes, not with worldly eyes. He saw what happened in terms of the kingdom of God. And he points it out to his disciples. And so I want to take you through just a few uh, principles that we want to take away from this text and from Jesus' words to his disciples about what happened there, about this widow's offering. Number one is this. Giving is not about the amount. What you give is not about the amount. All the others gave so much more. Great sums, and she gave two small copper coins, together worth about one penny. Absolutely nothing in the big scheme of things. How is that going to help the church out? How is that going to help the ministry out? And yet it was her and not the others that Jesus commended. It was her, not the others, who had her example preserved in the words of Scripture for all time. It'd be interesting to meet this woman in heaven one day. Why? Why was it her and not the others? Well, because it's not about how much you give. Giving is not about how much you give. You never see a building named after someone who gave a couple dollars to the cause. You never see that. The buildings around here, the buildings around this country are named after the people who gave millions of dollars in donations to help build them. Their name gets on the building. But that's not the way it works in God's economy. That's not the way it works in God's kingdom. That's not the way God evaluates our giving. It's not about how much you give. It's about the heart and the sacrifice behind the gift. Hear that. It's not about how much you give. 
It's about the heart and the sacrifice behind the gift. And that means that each and every one of us is going to be giving different amounts. Different amounts. Because it's about the heart and the sacrifice. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is essentially, in one verse, the new covenant command on giving. Each one should give whatever he has decided in his heart. You should not give because you feel guilty. You should not give because you are being compelled by a preacher to do so. You should not give because you are under compulsion. I need to give this amount because I'll feel bad if I don't. People are compelling me. Other people are compelling me to give this amount. No, God wants it to be free and from the heart with joy. With joy. Giving is an act of worship. And it should be a joyful one. Now, in the Old Testament, God required that the Israelites give 10%, a tithe. That's what that word tithe means. Do you know that? Tithe means 10%. Tithe doesn't just mean something you give. It actually means 10%. In the Old Testament, God required the Israelites to give a tithe of everything, 10%. But there is no percentage requirement In the New Covenant, you can't find it anywhere in the New Testament, a percentage requirement for giving. What you will find is the requirement to give and to do so willingly and cheerfully. Now, having said that, we must be careful here. We must be careful here. We've got to walk the fine line of saying what the Bible says, no more, no less. We've got to be careful here. Because our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. Many people hear what I just said and exhale with relief because they are looking for an excuse to keep more money for themselves. Oh, thank goodness the preacher said it that way because now I don't have to give 10%. Beware of your own heart in this matter. Beware of our tendency The tendency that we all have to justify our selfish desires. Our hearts work like that. Your heart works like that. We have a natural human tendency to justify our selfish desires and to make it sound holy. Beware of that. Furthermore, since God commanded the Israelites to give 10%, I think it's a good and wise thing for us to try and give 10% or more. Why? Well, the old covenant we learn in the book of Hebrews was only a shadow of the glory that was to come. It was only a shadow of the glory that was to come. We live under the new covenant. And the change came when Christ came. We live under a covenant where the glory has already come and it has come in Jesus Christ. And so should we then give less than the people of the old covenant? No, it it would make sense that we would give more. More has been entrusted to us. More glory, more teaching, more revelation of the mystery of the gospel. But the point of the passage today is it's not about how much you give. It's not about how much you give. It's about the heart 
and the sacrifice behind the gift. That's giving according to Scripture. Know this. God is able to do more with two small copper coins than the savviest and smartest entrepreneurs and businessmen can do with $2 million. God is able to do more with two small copper coins than they can do with $2 million. God is not up there thinking, oh, thank you so much for giving me $10,000. Now I can really do what I wanted to do in my kingdom. Thank you so much. I had the plans. I was just waiting on the money. Now I can do it. God is not like that at all. He made the world and the universe and everything in it out of nothing with just a word from his mouth. That's the God we're giving to. He made everything in the universe out of nothing with just a word from his mouth. He doesn't need your money. If he had a need, he says in the Psalms, if he, if he was hungry, he wouldn't tell us. Everything's his anyway. He doesn't need anything from us. We need it. We need the discipline and the obedience and the joy of giving. And so it's not about the amount. It's about the heart and the sacrifice behind the gift. Ten million dollars is nothing to God. Ten million dollars is nothing to him. And two small copper coins are everything to him. That's God. And so it's, it's not about the amount. But giving is also not about, according to our text, it's not about what's left over. It's not about, giving is not about giving God what's left over. Look at verse 44 in our text. Jesus says that all the rest contributed out of their abundance. Out of their abundance. So many people give to the Lord out of their abundance. Saying, well, if the Lord blesses us with a good month financially, then we'll give. Or if we have something left over after we pay all all our bills and spend on the things that we want to spend on, then we'll give. This is giving out of your abundance. Giving out of your abundance. Giving is about sacrifice. What does it cost you to give? What does it cost you to give? The widow gave out of her poverty everything she had to live on. Those who gave out of their abundance, it was no sacrifice to them. It was easy. How difficult was it for this widow to give what she gave? You see, we tend to think about giving like this. I'm going to bless the church with some of my wealth. I am going to bless the Lord by giving him a portion of what is mine. The question is not, how much of my money should I give to the Lord? The question is, how much of the Lord's money can we rightfully keep back for ourselves? You see, it's just a completely different paradigm. Completely different. The question cannot be, how much of my money, how much of our money should we keep for ourselves? The question must be, How much of the Lord's money should I keep for myself? Not how much of my money should I give to him. Because it's all his. 
It's all his money. All the money in our bank accounts, all the money in our wallets, it's his. He has entrusted these things to us. And we will be held accountable for what we did with what God entrusted to us. How many of Jesus' parables are about a master going away and entrusting some of his servants with his money or his vineyard or what have you? And then he comes back and he holds them to account for what they did with the things he entrusted to them. They were his. This is money. We've been entrusted with God's money, with God's things. What are we doing with it? Will he be pleased with the way that we used his things? Giving is about sacrifice. There's a wonderful example of this in the Old Testament, tucked away at the end of 2 Samuel. Right after David took that, that census, you remember this? David takes a census of all of the people of Israel, and it's sinful, it's wrong, and he does it anyway, and God punishes him and the Israelites for it. Finally, David realizes, he comes to his senses, he repents, and to complete the repentance, so to speak, God tells David, I want you to go build an altar on the threshing floor of this Jebusite man named Araunah. Go build an altar over there, and I want you to offer sacrifices there as kind of a completion to your repentance and your return to me. David obediently goes. He goes to the man and he says, I I need to buy your threshing floor to make offerings to the Lord. And the man, loving King David, having a, a, a wonderful heart, says to King David, no, I'll give it to you. It's yours for free. In fact, I'll give you the oxen for the sacrifice. I'll give you materials to build the altar. It's my joy to do so. You're my king. Here you go. And David comes back at him and says, no, no. I will buy it from you for full price. And then he says this. He says, for I will not offer sacrifices to the Lord that cost me nothing. David understands what sacrifice means. A sacrifice is about what it costs you. Not just obediently doing what you're supposed to do because it's the the outward ritual. It's checking the box. No, it's about what it costs you. Giving is about sacrifice. God doesn't just want your money. Understand that this morning. God doesn't just want your money. God wants your heart. He wants the whole of your life. He doesn't want 10% of your life. He wants the whole of it. And the paradox of all of this is that when you give him everything, he gives you back so much more. He gives you back so much more. Often I I listen to a song in my car with my kids. It's an old It's an old spiritual, but Billy Preston is playing organ on it. That's why I love it. He's amazing. But it's a Billy Preston song called You Can't Beat God's Giving. You can't beat God's giving. The the lyrics go, you can't beat God's giving no matter how hard you try. In other words, you can't outgive God. You can't do it. Another line in that song says, the more you give, the more he gives to you. It's so true. It's very true. In the 19th century, there was a man named William Schaffler, who was a missionary in Turkey. William Schaffler was known by those around him as a a very generous man, a very generous giver. And he was often asked how, having so little, he was able to give so much away, and yet he didn't run out of money. 
He barely had anything. He kept giving and giving, and he gave a lot, and he never ran out. How does this happen, they would ask. And he would reply, I keep shoveling over to the Lord, and he keeps shoveling back to me, and his shovel's bigger than mine. That's true. There's only one place in the entire Bible where God actually tells people that he wants them to test him. Do you know that? Remember Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and Jesus quotes that great verse from Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, right? We're not supposed to put God to the test. But there's one place in all of the Bible where God actually tells people, no, I want you to. I want you to test me. Where is that? It's in Malachi 3.10, and I'll read you that verse. God says to the Israelites, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, understand this. This is old covenant Israel, but they were they were skimping on the tithe that God asked them to bring to him, the the tithe that they were to give of their crops, the first fruits of the harvest. They were skimping on it, probably because they were were nervous about whether or not they were going to have enough. Am I going to have enough for myself if I give 10% to God? What, What if we don't have enough? What if we can't make it? And God says, bring the full tithe in and test me. Go ahead, test me on it. See what happens. See if I don't rain down a blessing upon you. See if I don't open the the floodgates of heaven for blessing upon you until there is no more need. If you give what I want you to give. Some hold back from God. Not just money, but their very lives. Thinking, if I give my life, if I give my life away, I'll lose it. If I give my life away, I'll lose it. But the opposite is actually true. It's the paradox of it all. The opposite is actually true. Because in in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus says, Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And so if you try to keep your life for yourself you'll actually lose it. But if you give your life away to Jesus, you'll get it back. And you will have more life within you than you ever thought possible. Sometimes we sing that great Isaac Watts hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You know that song? Think back to the lyrics. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. There's a line in that song that says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be an offering far too small. Were the whole realm of nature mine, it would be an offering far too small. Well, how hypocritical we are if we sing that line with gusto, all the while trying to figure out what's the minimum that I can give to the Lord without feeling guilty. Instead of giving what's left over to God, What if we gave him our first and our best? Instead of giving what's left over, what if we gave first and best to God? What if our offering to the Lord was the very first line in our budgets 
The very first money that comes out of the paycheck, so to speak. And we'll figure everything else out after we see what's left. Once we've set aside God's portion. What if we gave God first and best? I challenge you to do that this year. And so giving is not about the amount. Giving is not about what's left over. It's about loving God more than money. Giving is about loving God more than money. This woman, this widow in our story, she loved God more than her money. She gave it all because she knew money can never give me what God can give me. Money can never give me what God can give me. The happiness and satisfaction in your heart that you receive from money or the things that money can buy, that is absolutely nothing compared to what you can receive from God. It's much like C.S. Lewis's famous illustration from The Weight of Glory. I'll read it to you. He writes, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, and here you could add the pursuit of wealth, when infinite joy is offered us, Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. We've got to love God more than money. Money is so dangerous, people. Money is so dangerous. Spiritually dangerous. Jesus said after his conversation with the rich young ruler who, by the way, if you remember, chose money over Jesus. He chose money and possessions over following Jesus. Jesus actually said to him, go sell all your possessions and then come back and follow me. He had a chance to follow Jesus. He had a chance to be with Jesus. He chose his possessions over it. But Jesus said to his disciples after that encounter, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Don't try to explain that one away. Just let it hit you. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Because money is dangerous. Money is deceitful. Money is tempting. And it draws our hearts away from the Lord. It causes us to trust in ourselves and our own wisdom and our own strength and our own ability to provide security, rather than to trust in the Lord for those things and to depend on him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 9, says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Hear that from the Apostle Paul this morning. It is through the love of money that many people have walked away from the Lord. It's the love of the world, the love of the things that money can buy. Many people have walked away from the Lord and given up their salvation because of it. And then he adds, and pierced themselves with many pangs. It hurts you. It causes all kinds of problems. We've got to love God more than money. 
John Elliott was a minister in England and a missionary to the American Indians also in the 1600s. That's when he lived, 1600s. And at one point, John Elliott's parish treasurer was paying him his salary. Elliott was such a generous man that he often would not make it home on payday with all of his salary because he would meet people along the way and give money to them. Well, the treasurer and the leaders of the church started to recognize this, and they loved Elliot. They loved their minister, and they wanted him to be taken care of. They wanted him to get home with all of it. So one day, as the treasurer was giving him his salary, he put all of the money into a large handkerchief, and he began to tie it up with as many hard knots as he could muster so that the whole thing would make it home with Elliot. Well, on his way home, he stopped to see a poor sick woman mother to a number of children. And on entering, he told them that God had sent them some relief. They were poor, and he was planning on giving them some money. Well, they had tears in their eyes as Elliot brought out the tied-up handkerchief that was clearly full of money, and he began to try to untie it. But that darn treasurer had tied it so hard in so many knots he couldn't get to the money. And so finally, after some delay and awkwardness, he handed the whole thing to the mother, saying with a trembling voice, Here, my dear, take it. It looks like the Lord meant all of this for you. You've got to love the Lord and his kingdom and his service more than money. Money is nothing to God. We've got to learn how to make it nothing to us. Love the Lord, whatever it takes, but do not love money. Giving is not about how much you give. Giving is not about what's left over. Giving is about loving God more than money. Right now, we're going to take some time to do business with God in our own hearts. This time that we give after the sermon each week is a time for you to respond to the Lord. He has laid something upon each and every one of our hearts. How do we need to respond? Only you know. And so we give this time for you to go and do that. We ask that you spend this time in prayer responding to God and his word laid on your heart. And after we each respond individually in prayer, we'll come back together and we will have a time where those who need to respond publicly to God's word can do so. But for right now, let's pray for a few moments.